Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Brad Flowers. Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk. Yeah, so am I. This is a, this is a topic that we've never done a deep dive on specifically, so I'm very excited about it. And as I was doing the research, um, really looking forward to having this conversation with you. We're going to chat about Brad's entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today, and then his extensive insights on naming. How do you name a business, a product, a service? And he's written a whole book on this, so he's got a lot of expertise and has given this a lot of thought, and he's going to share a lot of that today on this episode. To receive more information about the How of Business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and I'll reply with the link. So Brad Flowers is the co-founder of Bullhorn, and Bullhorn is an agency that builds, as they describe it, confident brands with language and design. And I'm going to ask him what, what that means exactly with the language and design. Uh, Brad leads specifically naming and language generation at Bullhorn. He has a degree in English literature, which, as he says, he finds was more useful than he expected, which is a good thing. Brad's also an avid bicyclist. I'm a bicyclist as well, but nowhere near your level, uh, Brad. Uh, and he does so for commuting as well as for competition. I don't, I don't compete. I'm not good enough. Uh, he's uh, also uh, co-founded and currently serves on the board of the nonprofit community bike shop called Broke Spoke. As I said, Brad is the author. He's the author of the book. This book just came out this month, I believe, right, Brad? Um, yeah, March 17th. March 17th, that's right. So when this airs, definitely the book is available. It's available on Amazon and other places. It's called The Naming Book, The Naming Book. And we're going to talk about some of the content, some highlights from that book. Uh, Brad lives in Lexington, Kentucky with his wife and his two kids. So once again, Brad Flowers, welcome to the show. Thank you. So English literature at UNT, which is right up the road from where I live. So yeah. how did you end up at UNT first, firstly? Well, I grew up mainly in Indianapolis. And when I was a senior, my dad took a transfer to, um, to Dallas. And so I kind of uh, fumbled around for a little while, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, and then ended up moving down with them. And I took classes at Brookhaven, the community college sure, there yeah, on the north right side. up the street from me. I'm, I'm in Coppell, which is, oh yeah, you know, so just south of me is Irving and Brookhaven is in Irving. So yes. Yeah. We, they were in Carrollton. Ah, um, okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah, you're right. It's over in Carrollton. I'm sorry. You're right. I was thinking of the, the other college. Right. Right. So we, um, so I, yeah, I moved down. I, took some classes at the community college, not sure what I wanted to do, and then ended up transferring to, to the University of North Texas and had a, had a really actually great, great experience. Uh, I was I telling see. someone the other day, one of the best things about going to school there doesn't have that much to do with the school, but at lunchtime, the, the jazz bands perform ah. and it's just like such a nice thing. So. Right. Cause it, uh, it has such a popular and uh, very well-known music school, right? Yeah. It's, it's a really amazing. Yeah, it's grown so much. I don't know if you've been back down here uh, over the last few years, but it's amazing the amount of growth and construction and development that's gone on there. That's great. Yeah. So did did you happen to grow up an IU fan? No, my dad actually went to Purdue. So, ah. <laughs> so I was born my uh, my first uh, my first bedroom was the closet 
of a dorm room in married student housing <laughs> at the right? Purdue University. So um, yeah, I wasn't allowed to be an IU fan. <laughs> yeah, the reason I ask is my daughter is about to graduate from IU. So that's that's cool. what I was asking. So yeah, she'll be interesting. She'll be interested to hear that. Yes, yeah, a great um, school. Yeah, absolutely. So all right. So literature, and, and what did you think you were going to do with that degree at the time? Right? Well, I, I always assumed I would teach because I didn't I love to read and I just didn't know that there were any other jobs mm -hmm. that that was useful for. So um, the the kind of the the journey started off, I, I graduated. And as I was applying, I wanted to take a little bit of time off, my wife was going to uh, was going back to school. And so as I was applying to graduate schools, I had this kind of terrible realization that I didn't really like to teach. <laughs> and for someone who just assumed they would teach, that's kind of tough. Yeah. Um, and so that was a time when I got a job at a local bike shop and we moved here to Lexington. And while I was there, I had some interesting insights. One was that I, surprisingly enough, I was really interested in business and it, that had never really crossed my mind that I would ever be an entrepreneur or be interested in business at all. And I ended up managing the shop for four years and I was interested in the business side in general, but in specifically, I became interested in marketing and how do you attract customers and how do you get attention, right. what sorts of things work. Uh, and while I was there, the owner allowed me to serve on some, some committees during, uh, during the work time that would promote bicycling events in, in Lexington. So I got a lot of outside experience. So that's really what led me to, I was at to the point where I just, as a, working at a local business, I didn't feel like there was anywhere else I could really grow in the business. And right. so it was, again, like it was the fall of 2008, so pretty lousy timing. And, you mm. know, sometimes I make the joke that I couldn't get any other job, so I had to start a company, <laughs> which is like half true probably. Right, and thank goodness for that in retrospect, though. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, and so uh, I, I had a friend who had similar interests, and we, we started that fall and started getting some clients towards the end of that year in 2009 and have kind of gone from there. And if, if I understood it correctly in the research, which, which makes a little, because the thing that's so interesting is how the heck do you go from a literature major bike shop experience to now helping others with branding and, and marketing, <laughs> but right. you started helping people put together events, correct? Or promoting yeah. events. That was the initial idea. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's the the line as you're noticing isn't isn't exactly a straight line. Right. It's, not, it's not one of those that you plan in high school or college, um, but it's it's worked. Uh, yeah, we started off thinking that we would mainly want to promote events because he was promoting large scale music events and I was doing bicycling events. So that's where most of our experience was, mm -hmm. and we liked the marketing side mm -hmm. the best, but. It just turned out the geography, the timing, no one wanted to pay us to market events. And so I think our, our arc, looking back from kind of 2008 to, to now, the arc has been kind of trying to find the intersection of these couple of circles, which is one, what are we good at? Uh, two, what can we make money doing? And three, what benefits the community? And so it's like, if, if it doesn't work in all three of those things, then we, we do it and then move on, try to find something else. So when you first, when you made that first pivot from uh, trying to promote events, what did you go to immediately after that? What services were you offering then? Well, I think like a lot of people early on, uh, companies like ours, you grow because you say yes to almost everything, you know, mm -hmm. early on, like every, every, every business book ever always tells you to focus, focus, focus. And that's really important. But focusing is a luxury of 
having having money and we didn't have any money so we kind of had to do whatever we could do and so really it's there wasn't really a hard pivot for us it was more of kind of a whittling away over time and so 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 opportunities came to you and that's kind of what helped you shift and find your path to where you are now that's right yeah yeah we started off friends and family uh working working for friends and family and tried to do a good job uh and you know went from there the referrals kind of that's kind of how it grew organically. Usually when I, when I interview people who are in marketing, uh, some kind of an agency, they offer some type of, of marketing services, they've got some kind of background. They worked for somebody for a while. They, you know, they worked up the ladder. For you, it's not there. What, what gave you the confidence to say, you know what, I can do this and I can do this at the level that others will pay me for this? Well, again, in retrospect, I think the confidence is unreasonable, probably, um, because yeah, we started off with no no clients and no experience really to speak of. Um, but I think the kind of personal characteristics that we tried to live in at that time was it's kind of sounds stupid, but it's really basic, you know, like be nice, which sets you apart from a lot of people in the agency world. Um, try really hard and then fess up when you make mistakes. Sure. But why did you think you knew enough about marketing that you could offer that as a service? What, what, why were you confident in your skills in that area at that point? Um, I think I was mostly confident that I could learn to do it. Um, whatever people needed. Um, like, like I said, looking back, it's, um, I didn't, the good thing is, is I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I wasn't kind of like paralyzed by that. If I would like, if if I had the perspective I have now, I never would have done it. (laughs) Right. It's like somebody had asked you that question. Then you're just, I guess I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. (laughs) I should go get a job for somebody else. You're right. I should abandon this. Um, But so, but what is it then do you think, because it has to be that there was something in you Mm where you had a natural ability in this area and maybe the literature, because you say there is some corresponding, um, you know, transfer there. Now in retrospect, what is your magic power, your superpower that allows you to be good at this? Hmm. You know, I do, I do actually think that, uh, the literature part has a lot to do with it because it, it builds, it builds empathy and the ability to communicate with honesty, which I think people find refreshing, you know, and as you're reading, fiction specifically, you have to put yourself in the position of the reader. So the act itself builds empathy because you have to literally imagine something from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's a part of it. And then I think the other part is just, I, I really genuinely love to learn new things and I kind of thrive on change. And so I, it just became like an interesting challenge to learn you know, I actually, the, the, the marketing and the creative part came quite fluently. What was hard for me was actually running a business right, that I had right. no business doing. Sure, um, sure. You know, I never even balanced a checkbook at that point. <laughs> so it was like, that was a rude awakening. And, um, and so that's the part that I've, I've found the most challenging and difficult. And, and also, in some ways, the most interesting and the part that I really find rewarding and, and fun now. So did you initially, did you get help? Did you partner for that? How did you get past that or, or start to develop those business skills? Yeah, we did. I, I, um, we had some help early on, especially like accounting and some of the things that we were like, we're 
grossly underprepared for. There are some small business resources here in Lexington. There were, and actually they were free. There were some retired accountants who came in and talked to us and gave us a lot of advice. So it's definitely seeking out advice was something um, I think that's important. I, and another, another characteristic I think is just kind of knowing, knowing when to like, okay, I definitely can't do this. And so yeah. seeking out help on, okay, I need help with HR or I need help with accounting or I don't know how to do payroll. I need to find someone who can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Okay. Fascinating. All right. So 2008, that's when you launched Bullhorn Creative. It's evolved and, and it is what it is today. As, as I said in the in the bio, you call it an agency that builds confident brands with the language and design. I've never heard yeah. it put that way. What does that mean? Well, I think we, we come from a, a little bit different perspective. And part of it is the journey that I just described. You know, most people who start an agency like mine, they work for someone else. They're uh, generally they're a designer, they're a talented designer, and then they go off on their own start doing design work, get more work than they can handle and hire other people. That's the the most common trajectory. And we just had a pretty dramatically different perspective. And so what we ended up, we end up leading most projects uh, with, with language because we think that without strong language, design is really just decoration. And we think without strong design, language falls flat. So it's, it's kind of a hand in glove scenario for us. I think to understand the client and to be able to do the best work and to give, give them the most confidence possible, which is our goal because we think when you can communicate with confidence, that's where a lot of the, that's where success comes from. Um, And so we, we really need to put ourselves again, empathetically in their shoes. And so it's the way we think of it is you don't come to bullhorn for a bullhorn look or sound, but that, we try to bring exercises to bear to draw out what's great and interesting and unique and wonderful about a particular client and then articulate it in their own voice and just helping them put their best foot forward. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And we're going to talk more about that. So thanks. Thanks for explaining that. Sure. Um, when did you know that you wanted to be your own boss, to have your own business? I think it was, it was towards the end of when I was working at the bike shop, I thought, you know, I re- I really liked it, but I, I started to kind of have the itch to do my own thing. And I didn't really think I wanted a, a retail sort of business. Um, but it, it was sometime around in there. I, I don't know, again, like I said, through, throughout high school and college, like I, I never really like looking back, I guess, thinking about it now, I was certainly entrepreneurial and, you know, I bought clippers and charged a couple bucks to shave the kids' heads in the neighborhood <laughs> or whatever. So I was certainly like entrepreneurial from an early age, but, um, I never, it, it just wasn't really like, uh, from my parents or school experience, it was never like on the table as to be a business owner. It yeah. was always work for somebody else, kind of slot into middle management somewhere. Right. And so as you were working on the bike shop, obviously it was a small business and you started right. to realize I like this whole business thing and how to business operates. Right. Yeah. And I kind of looked around and saw all these businesses and thought, well, if these guys can, these <laughs> folks can do it, you know, I can probably figure it out too. Which is, which is fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Yeah. So let's start to dive into it. That The book again is called the naming book. And so yeah. the question I always have is why did you write it and who is it for? Well, I wrote the book partly, uh, it started off not as exactly as a book. It started off as a resource for us internally because we started getting more projects 
my idea started to get a little stale and I just needed help. And so I was hiring freelancers and hiring additional writers to be on staff at Bullhorn. And I needed some tool to give to them to just help. How, so like, how do you actually come up with a name? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I didn't have anything. We had lucked, kind of lucked our way into it because I think we had good intuition on what made a name, but I didn't really, again, because I didn't really have any practical training, I, I needed to get some of that expertise. So I started reading the popular literature. Um, and then I also looked a little bit into academic literature on naming. And I started realizing that there's really nothing out there. At that time, there wasn't really anything out there that would help someone go from, I have an idea for a business to a name. Most naming books fell into two camps. There were either uh, kind of story or anecdote based around what's the history of a particular name, which is interesting to know, like, why is Patagonia called Patagonia? It's an interesting mm-hmm. story. Uh, and then the second one comes from the perspective of someone who's really good at naming and they tell you what they like and why. And that's also interesting and it kind of helps you understand naming a little, but it doesn't actually help you generate a name. And so I really wanted to write something that would help someone go from a blank page to a kind of a finished good idea that worked. And, and so I realized that if I, couldn't, if I couldn't figure out how to create something for my team kind of easily, then there was probably a, a gap in the market. And more to the point, like I started thinking about if I, if I can't do it, how could an entrepreneur who has no interest in linguistics or, um, you know, any of that sort of stuff, how, how could they do it other than just kind of lucking into something? Yeah. It's, it's like you, it's, it's not surprising that you took something that obviously is a creative process, but applied a system to it, a business approach to it almost. Yeah. And it's not that it confines it, but it's a framework for how to do this. Right. Right. I think people, people think of creativity as something that's like, you're kind of waiting for magic to happen. Exactly. That you shouldn't put any rules to it and it just happens when it happens. Right. But after having done this for over a decade now, I can tell you without a doubt that the only way to continuously produce high results in a creative field is to have a rigorous process. And, um, and that's, that's what I set out to do is to, to give the framework and the tools for people to work through and, and make something interesting. Yeah, I agree. In my experience, what, what I see is what happens otherwise is it paralyzes people because because it is, you know, supposedly such a creative thing. And then we get frustrated. Maybe I'm just not creative enough. And I just, and so you get paralyzed and you get, and you stop. Um, I think what I find is when you have some kind of a process or a system, it helps you take those steps one at a time to get there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, I think that's definitely true. And I think it also, additionally, it has a little bit to do with how we're taught from really from the beginning where we're, kind of looking for the right answer, just kind of converging on one thing, where really in order to come up with a good name, I think it's the opposite approach. You have to, it's a really divergent exercise. You have to create Mm. lots of potential names. Uh, And so then you kind of get the idea that there, I have kind of say sometimes that there are two hard things, the hard things about naming. One is establishing a criteria by which to judge names. And then the other is generating lots of ideas to judge. yeah, that so, makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And and so uh, going back to before my Wuhan, who who ideally is this book for? I mean, obviously anybody yeah. who's looking to name their business, anybody who's continuing to produce products or services that you need to name for, uh, and it's written yep. not you know not for the marketing experts, but for the layperson, if you will. Is that fair? 
It's definitely fair. I try to leave all, I tried to, it's, I tried to leave as much jargon out of it as possible. So you don't have to have any really insider um, language or understanding. It's aimed primarily for the entrepreneur who has an idea, but not a name. And then secondarily, it's for the creative who occasionally gets hired to do something like a name, but doesn't know how to do it mm -hmm. in a repeated way. Um, and then I, I also think in maybe a kind of a tertiary way, it can work in some MBA programs where maybe there's an entrepreneurial MBA and uh, this could be part of the process of creating a company. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you've touched on a couple of the points already, but in the book, you lay out the five steps to creating brand and product names. And I just want to walk through at a very high level and, and yeah. kind of pick a couple of things out of those. You mentioned the first one. So the first step is establishing criteria. Uh, tell me about that. Cause that that's, as you said, I think that's one of the key components. And I agree. What kind of criteria are we talking about that someone should set as they're starting to name a business or a product? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. And it's, it's an, such an important step because most people, jump over it altogether and don't consider that they even need a criteria because as we, we were talking about, they're looking for kind of mm -hmm. this like name to just like hit them. And right. The, the skies will part and here's the perfect name. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so thinking about criteria, there's a lot of, a lot that goes into it um, because it says the criteria should be as unique as you and your business. So th there are a couple of things that generally most people are interested in and it has to do with memorability as one, for example. And there are some uh, linguistic tricks that make some words more memorable than other. And I talk about some of that. So it's like, for example, sometimes a hard initial consonant like, uh, you know, crispy K is, is a good one, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, can, can, is sometimes more memorable rhyme, those sorts of things. Interesting. And there, there's, there's a lot of, there's kind of interesting research around that. And I talk a little bit about it in the book without going too far into the, into the academic side. Um, and then things like spelling and pronunciation, most businesses, you generally want your name to be pretty easy to pronounce for the most part. You know, you can kind of think of like, the item on the menu at a restaurant. And if you can't pronounce it, you're probably not going to order it because most people don't want to look stupid. Mm -hmm. So is, is pronounceability important? But then the flip side, I talk a little bit about too, there are some industries where sometimes being difficult to pronounce can be a good thing because it creates distance between the purchaser and the product. So like especially high-end products like high fashion uh, tend to have legacy foreign sounding names because they still work because it's they, there's an air of inaccessibility about them. I see. Fascinating. This is Henry Lopez briefly interrupting this episode to invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you are experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, just visit thehowofbusiness.com or Simply text the word bizcoach, that's B-I-Z coach, to 31996. 
what are some other, you, you mentioned jumping over the step altogether, but what are some other common mistakes you see people make in this step of the criteria for the name? Um, I, you know, I think some people, some people jump over if they do it, I think they they're thinking a little bit too much about their customer at this step. Mm -hmm. And they're not thinking enough about, you know, what they want it to be. Because I think our name, a name is is important in that getting back to the confidence thing we were talking about earlier, you know, you want it to be something that you can um, that you can say confidently that gives you confidence to walk into a room mm -hmm. and, you know, bring your product or service to bear. Yeah. Um, and so I think thinking about yourself, and so there's a section about tones, for example, in developing the, the, the tones you want, which I think often are, they're not the tones you want people to perceive, but they're literally like, who do you, you know, this is your thing of all the things in the world that you're doing, you're doing this particular thing. Why are you doing it? And how do you want others, um, what, what kind of tone do you want to convey to other people? Mm -hmm. I think that's so important also because sometimes we can get so overwhelmed by other people's opinions and what they think it should sound like. And, and at the end of the day, like you said, especially if, if I'm, if I'm the boss, if it's my business, if, of mm -hmm. course, if I'm in partnership, I gotta, I gotta look at it from multiple people's perspective. But I, your point is I need to feel confident in saying this name and sharing this name. It needs to be something I believe in and that's important, not allowing somebody to have dictated what it should be because it fits a certain mold. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think um, it's, I talk, I give the example in the book that it's, it should give you confidence, but it, you don't necessarily have to, it, it's not exactly what you like that matters. It's, there's some pragmatic side to it. And so I get, I give the example of, um, I was looking for some frozen something to send with my kids lunch and I was walking down the supermarket in, in town and you know, if you walk down the supermarket, there are probably, I don't know, 200 freezer doors. <laughs> I mean, it's like crazy how much choice there is. And so it's like, how could anything possibly stand off? And so I'm looking through like frozen things and I see like these organic burritos or whatever. So I'm like, okay, my kids would probably eat that. And I'm looking at the, and there are still like 10 choices of those. <laughs> and there's this one that's, that stood out because the name was so strange and it's, the name is Evol, E-V-O-L. Hmm. And the way it's rendered typographically, the E is backwards. So it makes you kind of want to read the word backwards. So when you read it backwards, it looks ah, like, love. like love. And so it's like, is this, is, but then when I thought about it more, I'm like, okay, love burritos. And I'm like, no, but if you read it forwards, it sort of sounds like evil. So is it evil <laughs> or is it love? And then I thought, no, maybe it's evolve. It's probably evolve because they're thinking like evolving or something. Anyway, long story short, it's like, that's, that's the sort of name that I don't really like. But I, because th I think it's kind of too precious and trying to be too clever, but it caused me to stop and yeah. I bought the burritos. I was going to say it ended up in so your shopping cart. I suspect it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it totally did. So it's like there, um, what, you know, what the expert likes or even what you like, you know, may not matter when it comes down to it. Sometimes there's a, there's a pra pragmatic should be involved because this is a business, you know, you're not, you're not naming, you know, your cat or something. That's right. Okay, so that's the first step, establishing criteria. Second is brainstorming, which you also mentioned. Um, tell me how brainstorming works here as you define it. I mean, that's a step that I usually take. Well, I'll just write down everything that comes to mind or if we're in a group, we'll throw it up on the white erase board. Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean by brainstorming? 
Yeah, in brainstorming, what I what we want here is to just get out as many words as possible. Right. No and filters. So, there's no wrong answers. Just get it all out. Is that fair? Right. Yeah, yeah that's fair. And and what I what I've found working with groups of people is that often folks have a hard time with this step because it's it's hard to know where the first step is. And mm. so it, once the first word's up there, it gets a little easier. So most of what this step in the book is at least is it helps people create interesting starting points to generate lists of words that you might not otherwise come up with. I see. Um, so Who do I include of, in the brainstorming session? Uh, this is probably, I mean, it kind of depends uh, who, if, you know, if you're a solo entrepreneur, this is still probably just you, or maybe um, if there's someone, sometimes it can be valuable. Uh, like for example, there was a woman who tried, who tested out an early version of the book and she was starting a company providing resources to preschool educators. And so she thought in a really particular way. And her husband is an architect who thinks in a totally different sort of way. And so it was helpful for her to have him brainstorm too, because his lists of words were so different from hers that it, it helped her have more raw material to create names. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's, and, and so there are a couple of different tools that we use to create sentences. So it's like, what are, um, the, the first thing is making it concrete. So it's writing specifically what you're going to do. Most businesses do a couple of different things. So like if it was bullhorn, for example, it might be, we design logos. And so then I'm going to take design as a starting point and try to come up with 10 words. Then I'm going to take logos and come up with 10 words. So you're starting with different types of words. And then the next step is to get abstract and that's when you kind of come up with more interesting things. So it's like, what would someone, how would someone, what was, is a metaphor someone would use for your business? So for example, Bullhorn, sometimes people say, uh, after one of our meetings, they say, wow, that really felt like a therapy session. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so therapist ends up being a starting point and that comes up, you come up with totally different words than you would normally ever think of in the context of your business but can be metaphorically relevant. And that's when sometimes you can come up with the most interesting names, something like Apple or something, which works metaphorically for the business, but not literally. Right, um, right. So like for your business, I notice sometimes you refer to yourself as a coach. You know, you're not literally out there coaching a team of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. but what you do is likened to being a coach. So if you were naming your business starting there, you might uh, look at or, or you might go through and, and have that as a starting point and think of what are famous coaches or, you know, uh, clipboard or whistle or, you know, those, those sorts of words that you associate with coaching that you wouldn't normally think of. I see. I see. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's really insightful. All right. So then, then compiling names is the third step. Introduce that step for me, compiling names. So compiling names, at this point, you're going to have a couple hundred words down and we're going to go through and look back and see if any of those words can actually turn into names. And the way we're doing it is we're going to separate out about seven different categories of types of names. And so this gets kind of into the mechanics of naming. We start off with real words. So we'll look what are words that stand out. So like, you know, you're thinking of naming a, a business, a business coaching business and clipboard is one of the ones on the list. And you're like, oh, clipboard, that's kind of an interesting word. That might be a good name for a business. So that might migrate over to a real word. Uh, we look at foreign language words. So there might be some words that are really good, but are just too common to be used for a business name. And so you might translate it into uh, Spanish, Italian, French, some of the ones that tend to be a little bit more pronounceable um, or... Uh, 
sometimes like say you have a, you know, a Greek grandparent or something, you might want to, you might want to find something in that vein because it's personal to you. So we'll look at foreign language words, uh, compound words like Facebook. So we'll, I give a couple of ways of actually going through and, and kind of smashing words together and what are rules that can help you do it in a way that makes the name sound aesthetically pleasing. Like Facebook is nice to say, it's just easy to say. Right. And you kind of have like two, two different words that aren't really related, but together they kind of imply a third thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we look at phrase names. Um, there are uh, a couple of different times they're kind of slipping uh, what's a compound is what I was trying to think of compound, which would be, or um, like Pinterest where you take two words and kind of smush it together. So it's right. like pin and interest. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you're, you're literally pinning your interest up. So it's, you know, things like those that can work, that can work really well. Yeah. Great, great ideas. Great tactics, Sarah. My, one of my business names, which is under which I do coaching is Levante Business Group. And that's, as you have said, uh, Levante yep. is a play on the Spanish word to lift, yeah. which I think is related to coaching and helping people lift up their businesses. So that's how I came up with that one. That's great. Yeah. All right. So uh, establishing criteria is one. Brainstorming is the second. Compiling names. You just explained expanding your knowledge. Some of this is the obvious like sources, like a thesaurus, I think, and other things mm-hmm. like that. But w- what are you seeing works well here to expand our knowledge, as you say? Yeah, here a lot of times people, I think a lot of times people think that they need to be familiar with the word that, that they're going to use to name their company, but that's not always the case. Sometimes there are a lot of really great obscure words out there and it can it can make your life a little easier sometimes down the road when you're looking for URLs which is another criteria. Do you need a short URL? If you need a short URL, you'd better start looking for obscure words because all of the more common ones are taken. Yeah, they're all common. So, so like for example, uh, one, one tool we use is going back to the metaphor list from that, from the second step and looking at what were the metaphors you picked going in it basically any sort of industry or um, basically anything, there are lists of kind of words that are insider terms to that industry. And so we might start with coaching and look at what are coaching terms and are there interesting words in there that pop off the page or, you know, like a lot of uh, businesses, if it's a professional service business, you're kind of helping to helping other people navigate something. So like navigation is a common metaphor used or kind of growth. So you see lots of financial planners with names that are associated with trees because it's like a really nice, easy metaphor of growth, of shade, of comfort, you know, relaxation, those sorts of things. And so using, using those to say, so, okay. So it's like, if I'm a financial planner, I love that metaphor, but I can't call it Oak tree because there are 35 other (laughs) oak tree financial planners just in my city. So you have to say, okay, well, what are maybe, um, trees native to the Southwest or trees native to Texas or whatever. You have to get more and more specific. And then maybe you're looking at how do trees grow? What are lists of, of biological terms related? And so really you're just looking for obscure words that, can really create a hook for the story of your business is, is I think that's, that's what I, I find the most interesting when you can find something that kind of like you were mentioning with Levante, it's, it's the starting point. Someone will look at it and say, Hmm, that's a weird word. What does that mean? And then you can say, well, I work with other businesses and it's a, it's a play on a Spanish word. And cause I, I wouldn't really want to, you know, help people 
you know, put their best foot forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hook for the story of your business. I love that. And we'll come back to that. All right. Good stuff there. All right. And then step five is deciding on the final name, which is probably the hardest thing to do. And I find what's so challenging here for myself and my clients is by this point in the process, your head is spinning. <laughs> Everybody has an opinion and it seems like you just get paralyzed. So yes. what are some thoughts and some tips there to help make that final decision? Sure. So um, hopefully by the time you get to the final step, you have quite a few names for a project here. We like to have in the 150 or so names wow. going into the final step. Okay. Um, and not all, not all of them are good because we're, we're, you know, we haven't really been editing too closely. And so we go into the final step. The first thing you're going to do is look back at the criteria. So there are always going to be similar ideas and some are going to fit the criteria better than others. So again, if it's like URL scarcity and there are two similar ideas, uh, say one is a megaphone and one is bullhorn. Well, maybe, okay, bullhorn is a little more specific and I'm more likely to find a better URL there. Um, or if it's pronounceability, something's a little easier to say than something else or spelling. That's another one. Um, and so usually applying your criteria, you can get down to 20 or 30. Uh, usually fair, fairly easily. And then from there, I like to get a little bit of outside perspective because by, at this point in the process, I'm usually pretty close to the names and I'm, it's, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time telling which is good. And sometimes at this point you feel like none of them are good because the, the, you just start to, you're so close. It's like, ah, oh, this is none, all this, are, these are all terrible. Um, and so you really need a little bit of outside perspective, but when you seek an outside perspective, that's really when things can go terribly wrong Yes, because yes. <laughs> asking other people uh, <sighs> out of context can right. be very frustrating. You know, they, they don't have the same vision for where you're going. Uh, it, to them, it's just a word on a piece of paper and it will never be a word on a piece of paper again. Moving forward, the name will be a symbol for you, for your product, for your service. And so people associate those things with the name. And so the name makes sense. Um, and so what, what I do, a trick to, I don't know if it's a trick, but it, it helps me make asking other people useful is I take each name and I, I put it over a, a different photograph. And so I'll usually pick two different photographs because people are really influenced by imagery and by typography. And so I'll pick two different typefaces and two different images. And then I'll go through each name and have the person just go one to 10, worst name, best name, and then an immediate reaction. And the immediate reaction I find usually is the most valuable part because people just have different cultural experiences. They have different vocabularies. Some people, you just have different size vocabularies, which is just a reality. And so some people might have a really strongly negative reaction to a specific word that you should listen and take seriously. Um, and so I find that pretty valuable. And usually from there we can get to, you know, we can whittle it down to fewer than 10. And, and then we're gonna start looking at what's competition, what's the competition in the marketplace. And so competition or what I call in the book unusualness is generally, is generally something also that most people want it to be fairly unique. And so a couple of things that you're going to want to do is look at the secretary of state website and you can generally do business searches for their business searches there to see, are there a lot of other businesses in your state where you're going to register um, that have the same name. And if so, you probably want to reconsider that particular name. 
same thing with the the trademark uh, search. Yeah, we do that yep. as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the USPTO.gov. Yes. I also go there, and you know, if you sometimes you'll have a name you like, and you pull it up, and they're like nine hundred and seventy three results. Right. Then you have to kind of backpedal on that one. But you don't. You don't go. You don't do that as well as the domain search until you've got that list of one hundred and fifty, and those only make it on one hundred fifty. Because that's where I struggle sometimes. I think I'm using. I'm doing that search maybe too early, and it's narrowing me. Yes. Um, or limiting me. Yeah. I want to do it at the very end. The very yeah. end. Okay. Because you, you'll end up, well, it's kind of like editing as you write. Like if you, you hear writers, they talk about, you have to kill the editor because if you, if you're editing as you write, you kind of kill your, the flow of your, no of your good. thinking. Yeah. So it's, it's a similar idea. Like if you're, if you're trying to do too much research as you go, you just have to kind of put that aside, bracket it in your mind and think I'm going to get to it. I'm not going to forget this step. But for now, I'm just going to try to generate a lot of right, ideas. Right. That makes sense. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, and I, I was going to say part, part of the, the book kind of like rests on that idea. And it's, it's an idea about creativity that I think is, it, well, it transcends naming for sure. And I give, give an example about there's this book that the founders of the, the design agency, IDEO, wrote about creativity. And in the book, they talk about this uh, pottery class. And the class was split in half. One half of the class was graded on the final piece. So it was like the quality of one piece of, of pottery. The other, the other half of the class was graded on quantity. So it was like literally how much did all of the stuff you make weigh at the end of the period and that determined your grade. Hmm. And the interesting thing is at the end, the people who, who created the most pottery also created the best pottery. Ah, and, and so it kind of, I think it, it really, it really relies on that idea that really to have good ideas, you have to have a lot of ideas. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that example because the person who was trying to produce that one perfect thing was editing themselves as they were creating. Right. That's right. Okay. Love that. Um, all right. Um, we could keep talking about this for hours. Uh, I want to go back to the point about the picture to create context. I'm not sure if I quite got that. What was the picture of you when you said when we were, when we were getting out, outside input, input from others, Oh yeah. include an image, but I didn't yeah. follow what the image is of. Sure. Sure. Sorry. So I, I don't like to put it on just a blank piece of paper because it, it feels too, it feels too sterile. And again, like you want it to feel like it really could potentially be a name. Okay. And so if someone image, sees a name, the image is irrelevant. Image. It's just an, it's just an image or is the image create context for the business, for the story I of think, the business? In, in the best case scenario, it creates, it creates context in for the business. Okay. And so and a quick example, a recent project we had, we're naming uh, an urban infill development project. And so we wanted to, we wanted to show two contrasting images that would feel like part of it, but would feel like very different parts of what they were doing. One was, uh, it was an image of an old brick building that had been refurbished and, you know, looked really nice. The other one was a group of people coming together. It looked like it could be a cocktail party or a birthday party or something. And so there was like, there's like the infrastructure part and then there's the human part. And so you, those are two different aspects of what they're trying to do. And so um, those were the two we used for that particular one because they, they, they feel like they feel like different aspects of 
what the business will ultimately be. Mm-hmm. And so you put one name over one image and had multiple images with all the different names, or is it all of the names on the image? Um, yeah, I, I like to do them one at a time. So one I'll at do, a time. I'll okay. do say it, say name number one over yeah. image number one. Over image number one, okay. And then name number one over image number two. Okay. And I'll, I'll, I'll hold it up on the screen for about 30 seconds. I see. And then I'll switch. Then it's name number two over image number one. Because again, you're looking for typically that first reaction is what you're looking for, right? That's right. And then, so, you know, sometimes I'll even go back and then I'll go back through the names and tell the story of the name okay. and then get then gauge whether it made the name more or less favorable. And that's also kind of interesting to do sometimes okay. because a lot of times at this point, you're, you're presenting words that are either new words or really obscure words that people might be uncomfortable with. And so if they, if you start to tell the story and it's this really cool story, it's just like, you know, hero of such and such or whatever. Um, then people can be like, Oh, okay, I get it. I just didn't know what it was, but yeah. now that I hear it, that totally makes sense. I love it. Right. Right. I mean, when people first heard of Nike, they didn't know what the heck that was, right? Now that's it doesn't right, yeah. matter, but it, but it, there was a meaning behind it initially. It's that's right, and that's a good example because even that's like where name challenges can be overcome because on the surface you look at it and you're you're going to say Nike. That's right, it rhymes with Mike, and so it's like there are, there are inherent challenges there, even though look looking back on the success of the business and all the context we think it's kind of the best name because it's so like metaphorically powerful, even though it has, we kind of gloss over the challenges because it's such yeah. a successful company. But just to talk about that for a moment, but is that, but that's now in retrospect, that's great, but that's a lot of friction for a small business to overcome, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, imagine starting a computer company and calling it Apple. I mean, that's pretty weird. But at least I could pronounce Apple, right? Yeah, that's true. Okay, Patagonia, you mentioned as a good example, or are there any other examples that come to mind that you think are good names that we would know of and, and maybe briefly why? Or maybe um, it's Patagonia. Do you think Patagonia is a good name? And I know that's such a subjective question. Is it a good <laughs> name, right? Um, but you know what I'm getting after. You know, yeah, I, I think I do. it's always good to continue as you have in this conversation to relate it to something that we have that we're familiar with so we get it. Yeah, most of what most of what I I talk about in the book is is sticking to your criteria, and I don't talk much about what I like because I I try to talk more about what works. And so I think some names okay. some names point. just really work really well, and whether I like it or not, it's kind of a right. That's the better kind of question: irrelevant. is why does it work? Why does Patagonia work? Yeah, I mean, I think it works because it inspires this idea of travel, of this exotic destination, of maybe like you can kind of picture the mountain peaks. It's for most of us realistically who buy Patagonia products, it's something that we wish we were, but we're not actually because most of us like, you know, wear it while we're lounging on the couch reading a book, not climbing a mountain or something. So I think it works because it, it, it kind of speaks to exploration and independence and all of these things that I think appeal to the, the people that buy the products. Yeah, love it, love it. So tell me more about uh, Bullhorn and the services that you offer your clients. Sure, uh, so Bullhorn's a branding agency and the most common deliverable for us is a brand manual. And so in the brand manual will be, um, most often it's it's, design related. Um, and 
also includes the language I mentioned. So there'll be things like color, image style, typography, uh, logo, typeface, uh, logo typeface rather. And then in addition, there'll be language guidelines that includes tone of voice, includes often values, elevator pitch. And then a lot of times we'll do headlines and sometimes body copy depending. Um, and then from there, really we use our creative talents to help our clients launch it into the world to the degree to which they need. So we work across a broad range of clients from cities and universities to startups. And so because they have such a wide range of needs, we have a wide range of offerings and we'll kind of, sometimes it sits really the, the group has an in-house uh, in-house design team. And so we'll just hand them the manual and they'll run with it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're designing some ads or um, designing some social media assets, or we even go as far as designing and developing some websites. Okay. Wonderful. All right. The, the book that we've been talking about, okay, and it's called the naming book. Is yeah. there another book now that comes to mind that you would recommend to our small business listeners, uh, whether it's related to marketing or naming or not a, a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Um, you know, I did, I did an interesting thing early on. I mentioned that I like to learn and that I, I, I needed to, to kind of catch up a lot in my business acumen. And so I found a, I found a blog post from like 2012 or something, and it had the hundred books you need to read to have an equivalent of an MBA. Oh. And so I plugged them all into a spreadsheet and I'm still working. <laughs> I'm still working at those. And when people ask that, the one that stands out, I think is the one it's like the, it's a very popular book but I don't think I would have read it otherwise. It's how to win friends and influence people. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the title is off, so off-putting um, because it sounds so manipulative, but the actual content of the book I think is really amazing. So if you haven't read it, read it. It's, uh, it's good and it'll make you a better person. Agreed, agreed. Thank you for that. All right, uh, so we'll start to wrap it up here. What's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we've had about naming, naming businesses, products, or services? What's one thing you want us to take away? Well, you know, I think the main thing I want to take away is that, especially now, like things can feel really uncertain and confusing. And if you are starting a company or a new product or service, there's a lot of doubt. And I just want to, convey that with a process, sometimes just taking that first step can not only be useful and practical, but can also feel really good and productive and like you're working towards something. Um, and so regardless of it, whether you have any experience naming or not with the process, I'm convinced that, that anyone can do it. Yeah. That's such a great point. I think that's, that's an approach that, that I think works for anything that's overwhelming. If you just kind of don't look at the big obstacle, but break it down into its steps, it usually makes it a lot easier to, to get somewhere with it. That's yeah, that's absolutely right. Tell again, tell us again where you want us to go online to find out more. Yeah. You can find more about Bullhorn at bullhorncreative.com uh, or the, the book's website is the namingbook.com. Wonderful. And we'll have links to both of those on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. Brad, this has been a fascinating conversation. I could talk about this for another hour. Thanks for indulging all my questions, sharing all of the details, all the practical examples. That's exactly what, what makes a great show for us. So thanks for doing that with us today. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Folks, this is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Brad Flowers. 
We release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowabusiness.com. Or you can just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. And thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.